0: Welcome to episode 11 of Old Sport Podcast. Before we get the show underway, we just want to say we truly appreciate all of you who have left us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It really is an invaluable way to grow our listenership. It's been another sobering week in the sporting world. Early on Saturday morning, the shocking news of Shane Warne's tragic passing spread to all corners of the world. And whilst we will pay our own tribute to Shane in a couple of minutes, our thoughts are very much with his family and friends, as well as the victims of the floods in Eastern Australia, terrorism in Pakistan and war in Ukraine. To lift the spirits of our listeners, we have put together a mega preview of the upcoming AFL season, which we are really looking forward to discussing, as well as all the regular segments and much, much more. I'm Hamish Stewart, and joining me as always is Hugo Carson and Ben Rosen. Hugo, I'm going to stretch cricket bats to batsmen to Batman, and ask what have you made of the new Robert Patterson movie? <laughs> I like it.
1: Um, I haven't actually been able to see it yet, um, which is a bit disappointing. <laughs> Not too much to go on there. It's but, very
2: um, long. I will say <laughs> very, very long.
1: <laughs> I will say that at the start of one of my shifts at the cinema, I wasn't very keen to see it and then saw bits of it throughout the shift, just you know, walking in and out. And now I am desperate to see it.
2: So it does look
0: very good. Yeah, I loved it. It's um, it's long, but it's, it's worth yeah. it. Yeah.
2: Could have done with a little edit, I think. Just a small, <laughs> Some small Amy edit. So maybe Stuart editing.
0: <laughs> you know, you'd be all over it. All right, enough of that. Ben, why don't you take us through the worlds of cricket and golf?
2: Yes, for sure. Okay, so we'll start with the first test between India and Sri Lanka men um, where India won that by an innings and 222 runs. It was pretty dominant display across the board. Um, Judasia in particular with 150 and nine wickets for the match was a pretty good sweep. Um, just some recent results in the Women's World Cup as well. New Zealand women beating Bangladesh by nine wickets and australia beating pakistan by seven wickets and then of course there was the first test between australia and pakistan which ended in a pretty uneventful draw save pakistan being about four for 700 for the entirety of the test and a few good knocks at the top of the australian order no real headlines to come from it um hopefully we see things mixed up a bit from the curators in the, uh, the second test there. Um, and in the world of golf, Scotty Scheffler picked up his second PGA tour victory at Arnold Palmer's place, the Bay Hill invitational, um, come from behind on the Sunday and it's his second win in three starts. So he's a name to watch for the masters, which is only a month away now, which is very exciting for golf fans. How about the world of soccer, Hamish? Everything's heating up there.
0: It is indeed. In the Premier League, the headline was a 4-1 win for Manchester City over the now Noisy Neighbours in the Manchester Derby. There was also a 5-0 trouncing of Everton by Tottenham, which leaves the Toffees just one point above relegation with with about 10 games to play. Western United remained top of the men's A-League, while Sydney FC wrapped up the Premier's plate in the women's competition ahead of finals. Real Madrid have pulled away to an eight-point lead in La Liga, whilst Inter Milan, AC Milan and Napoli continue their three-way tussle for Serie A glory. And now to the rugby world, where the Crusaders, Brumbies and Queensland Reds are the only undefeated teams in Super Rugby Pacific, whilst in Super W, Fijiana, the Reds and the Tars started in winning ways with some pretty awesome scenes after the final siren in the Fijiana vs Rebels game, which was the first game for the Fijian team in Super W. Hugo, what about in the US?
1: Yeah, so it wasn't too many big, big stories in the in the basketball um, or the NFL, except for two huge um, trade or not trade announcements. Um, the fate of two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks were decided. Um, a huge bombshell trade was announced with Seahawks star quarterback Russell Wilson traded to the Broncos for a host of first round picks, other players and late round picks. Surprisingly, Aaron Rodgers is staying with Green Bay despite a year of speculation that he would leave the Packers. Uh, he denied claims that he was getting paid over $200 million to stay, but I'm sure it will be a huge contract. Uh, in the basketball news, there was Russell Westbrook and his wife have come out against uh, haters and death wishes in the past few days. Westbrook and the Lakers have been struggling for recent form. That's despite a 37-year-old LeBron James scoring 56 points and carrying them to a victory over Golden State. The Lakers sit ninth in the West while the Suns still hold the top seed in the East. The Nets also finished, also sit ninth. Uh, They still await the return of Ben Simmons and the Heat sit uh, in the top seed on the East.
2: Yeah. All right. Very good rap guys. Uh, I suppose arguably the biggest talking point, well not arguably the biggest talking point uh, to come from the world of sport was a, a really poignant one. And that was the passing of, uh, Australian cricket great Shane Warne. Um, I don't know about you guys but I woke up to the news I assume that if I was still up when it when it broke I wouldn't have got much sleep that night it was a really terrible thing to wake up and hear, and it was one of those like, I guess one of those things that you thought just can't be true it seems so surreal the guy still had so much life left in him still so much to give, not just to the game of cricket, but obviously a father. Um it there's really layers to the tragedy. But I guess, you know, this platform presents us with a really good opportunity just to to speak about um our memories of of Shane Warne as as diehard cricket fans. Um yeah anything in particular that stands out, I might start with you, Hamish. What what did the great man mean to you?
0: I guess and it's been discussed a lot over the last few days. It's just the notion that everyone had a piece of Warnie, um, regardless of when you were born, how much of his cricket you saw, how even into cricket you were. Everyone felt connected to him through the screen, through real life, because he was just an entertainer and he just permeated our lives like no other sportsman I can think of. And I think that's what made him feel so larger than life. And it makes it so hard to come to terms with. Like, I still quite feel numb about it all. Um, I don't think really until the state funeral that I'm going to be able to, to really accept what's happened, because you just still expect that, you know, come the the English summer, he'll be there on Sky commentating, but he's not. And it's really, really hard to come to terms with that. Um, there's one story that was really moving for me, and that was shared um, by And that was shared by Gideon Haig on the Cricket Etc podcast, uh, that this Pakistani guy, he's over there um, covering it and uh, saw him in the street and came up and was saying how sad it was about Shane Warne and that when Australia last toured, Warne signed a shirt of his son. Um, and his son decided because of that, he wanted to go on to be a leg spinner and his son just called him in tears when he'd heard the news. And it just shows that like the reach that Warnie had to all of all of the corners of the world. And yeah, just feel so, so sorry for his family and, and his friends. Hugo, what about you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, we're just three average cricketers, um, trying to speak about this guy who's so big, so much bigger than the world of cricket um and you, you've heard some of his good mates um past teammates everything come out and talk and they have some amazing stories um yeah you know, I feel like everyone has that one story where you, either you've seen Warney or you know watched him play cricket or something I was speaking to all my friends and most of them can only ever remember him playing Big Bash which isn't <laughs> I don't know the highlight of his career but you know even the fact that he he joined the stars there and was so loyal to Victoria, I think that's a big thing. Um, I've heard a few comparisons of, you know, in a different way, uh, Kobe Bryant's death and the impact it had on LA in particular. I think it's had a similar impact in Melbourne um, and also in Australia, of course, but Melbourne in particular, it feels like. Um, And there's just so much about his life that it just very Australian, you know, all all the aspect of his career (laughs) he was the the party guy party boy that people like to like and that you know he was a bit of a scoundrel but it wasn't in a bad way like you see some of these you know players nowadays um maybe it was better that he didn't have social media at the start of his career but um yeah i don't know it's it's it was really like everyone says you know you see the news and you're just like shane want no that that's
2: that's all right he's obviously just you know not feeling too well or it's a fake story like just unbelievable. Yeah no I couldn't agree more I mean a few of the the points that you2 made really resonate with me the idea that he sort of transcends the game. Um, is a really key one I think it was borne out by all the tributes that have flown in not just from the cricketing world not just from the sporting world not from the Australian community it was global it's entertainment you know Mick Jagger you got rock stars you name it um, as you said he just touched so many people's lives everyone sort of felt they had a piece of him and with that Sort of global persona uh, you know underlying that is someone that was so authentically and unabashedly australian and victorian if venture so far um which i think sort of makes it all the more sort of makes him all the more special to us our sports fans here in melbourne um and it makes it all the more sad really i remember um, not even cricket related, but when I was at the President's Cup golf and I was watching that and he was inside the ropes and he was walking with Tiger Woods, who was the the captain of the US team. And I thought, like if you saw any other cricketer walking with Tiger Woods, you'd have to look about 15 times, like what is going on there? Like how, <laughs> like explain to me how that has come to pass, but you saw Warney there and you're like, oh yeah. That sounds about right like where else would Warney be at the president's <laughs> cup in melbourne like it's just like and he sort of assumed that rightful place in so many circles obviously there's photos of him with jordan um uh, jordan, jordan with a is, sharon with a sharon yeah just <laughs> an amazing thing an amazing life um and i think that the really touching tributes that have come from people that knew him best all really cut through to that point that although it was clearly a life cut short it was also a life lived to the fullest i think mm-hmm. and and if there's anything that can give you solace um when reflecting on the passing it's it's that um he left a lot out there so um yeah really sad
0: it is really sad and spare a thought i know ian higgins raised this raise this as well for michael clark who has probably now lost his two oh, closest true. mates in cricket cuz Bill yeah. Hughes and and Shane Warren were probably his two best mates so i don't know i really hope he's doing okay cuz it must just be an extremely extremely difficult time um yeah it's going to take a while for it to to sink in for all of us i think but if anyone is going to kind of um continue to to live on in legend i suppose if that's something that's like a way we kind of console and, and bargain ourselves to come to terms with these things it will be warning like he really did transcend the cricket field and and life itself and we look at his highlights he hasn't like a lot of the highlights that get shed regularly i mean the gadding ball was like that'll be 30 years ago soon and we still see it numerous times a year just every year, and that um... is
2: the most ridiculous cricket ball. <laughs> <and> like, <laughs> it like is... it, it's been amazing being able to watch it so many times this week because, like, I keep thinking about how much that ball drifted. It's yeah. obscene. You see the ball start on sort of middle and leg, and it pitches a foot outside leg. Like, it's one thing to be able to turn it sideways, but to have that much control that had drift, like that is just the most obscene
0: delivery. <laughs> and I, first um... ball in your in your Ash's career, absolutely yeah. amazing. I
1: was listening to Jared Whateley um, talk about Warnie and Jared Whateley has a a very broad sports knowledge and has watched a lot of sport in his life and he said that Shane Warn's the most um, talented sportsman he's ever seen because the craft of his leg spin bowling was just unfathomable and unreplicated across the history of Test Cricket. Um, obviously, there's better athletes and you know more natural ability in some other aspects. But the way that Shane Warne could bowl a great ball was just unbelievable.
2: Bowling leg spin been so hard. Like yeah, even exactly. even the best leg spinners at first class level, um, they they bowl bad balls, and and Warne really hardly did. I mean, yeah. the the legend helps <laughs> him out a bit that you'd think he never bowled a bad ball, but it, it also is like. He was in batsman's head to such an extent that even if he did drop it short, they'd almost think it was by design and yeah. they'd still treat the ball with the respect you'd treat a good ball. Um, he was probably like the best, one of the best sort of psychological sportsmen of all time. And to think that he didn't have the fear factor of bowling 145, 150 clicks, he was bowling sort of loopy leg breaks and didn't have one that spun the other way. And yet batsmen were like paralyzed when they were facing him. It's just an incredible, an incredible bowler. One of the highlights that I really enjoyed watching is his setups for the
1: flipper. I don't know if you guys saw that, but where he would deliberately bowl kind of a short ball outside off the batsman would just cut it for four easy. Same ball is the next, the next ball is the exact same ball and it flips it towards the flipper and it spins straight on and just, cartwheels the stumps it's just like the the knowledge and the the psychological <laughs> torment over the batsman unbelievable
0: well richie ben always said that shane Warne was the greatest cricket brain in australia never to captain australia and he couldn't captain australia that's not you know. who he was um as a person because he was so unashamedly himself which <laughs> um in like in a strange way he's kind of the antidote to, to pat cummins in so many ways because he just he never cared what people think. And yeah, at times the um, the aura got to him. And you do wonder, like that whole stardom thing at times, was he lonely? Like at the top being such a a star um, and something that that people in our position often ponder and will never know the answer to. Um, but he was just so unashamedly himself, but so intelligent and so good at cricket and so good in his knowledge about cricket as well um but at the end of the day he just wanted to be playing footy for the saints like that's that's what he wanted to do as a kid <laughs> look I'm, I'm sure we could all talk about shane warne for for
1: hours and all the memories and stories we have but we'll move on and cover a bit of the other news from the week uh ben i think you summarized it pretty well the australia pakistan game there's not too much more to to touch on pakistan won the toss elected to bat on what looked like a dry pitch um, they scored 476 for the loss of only four wickets. The only wicket that came early on was a big mistake from the batsmen um, and they never really looked troubled. Um, Australia followed with 459 all out and then Pakistan decided to bat out the rest of the test, ending up none for 252. Maybe it's worth discussing why what the tactics were for Pakistan at the end there. Like Were they just trying to get under the skin of Australia and make them bowl out their bowlers? If they were, then Australia didn't really go for it, and ended up bowling nine bowlers, I think, in the end, um, including it Kowaja. Um, but really not the best test. Um, I think someone said that um, test cricket would be boring if they were all good tests. So I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> maybe you need a boring one to make it make the other test feel more special. Um, I mean, anything else you guys want to add?
0: Well, from the... What was it, the 17th over? The Travis Head Bolt? Yeah. It was a draw. From from that moment, it yeah. was a draw. And um yeah, it was a tough watch at times. But it was really good, like um white noise. You just have it <laughs> sitting there and you could actually genuinely do other things, which I usually struggle to do in front of in front of sport. But it was True. <laughs> genuinely so lacking excitement or change or or kind of sudden moments that. You could just sit in front of it and tinker away with whatever else you're doing um look fair play to to the pakistan openers who when got the hundreds in the second innings like good on your boys um <laughs> not that they're really um the hardest hundreds that they're ever going to make but uh i mean what was the other option for pakistan to have yeah, that's the thing. what are they going to do so yeah. just bat until captains think that you know we've probably had enough here boys and can call it and move on to the next test um but geez that kind of pitch. I mean, I know we come from a very Australian-centric view of what constitutes a good pitch, but personally, I'd prefer watching an absolute ragger bunsen burner in India to to what we saw the, the last five days.
2: I'd always anywhere. I'd I'd rather a bowler-friendly pitch. I I just think it's so much more entertaining to watch, and the runs mean so much more when yeah. it's doing a bit, seeming seaming or spinning, like it's almost a hundred that. It doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't want to say that it's a test hundred against Australia, the number one test team. But like runs just looked so easy. It sort of inflated the currency of them. Um, it sounds silly to say, but yeah, I don't mean, know. That was that was thoroughly boring, to be honest.
1: Yeah, it was interesting to see that it, it didn't become a dust bowl, spinning pitch like you'd think it would. Um, although it's important to consider that the temperature was only around like low twenties, yeah. so maybe that's a big factor. All right, we'll move on then to the Women's World Cup that's going on right now. It's still early stages with most teams only playing one or two games. Um, Australia looms as huge favourites, though. uh, Early in the tournament, they've won both of their games against England and Pakistan. India sits second in the standings on one win from one game um, and are Australia's most likely threat uh, going deeper in the tournament. Boys, I'm not sure if you guys have caught much of it or enjoying the tournament.
2: um, Any major thoughts? Yeah, I watched the um the England run chase. That was actually a really good game of, of one day cricket. I feel like for the English, they they keep coming up really close against us, and it's the, I like they obviously don't quite have the depth of the talent, but a bit of it seems to be psychological. Like they just sort of can't quite get over the line. Certainly been the case this summer. Um, they've had their opportunities, but that was a just a good game of cricket. I agree with you though. I think we um we do sit comfortable favourites.
0: Yeah, I don't know, like we can't relate to professional athletes in almost any sense but we all had like when we were playing our, our junior sport the team that w- whatever sport it was be it like footy or cricket or tennis like literally any sport you come up against an opponent who has beaten you consecutive times and you can't remember the last time you beat them and no matter what the score is in the game you don't like you mm. struggle to believe inside yourself that you're actually going to get across the line. They're going to come back and do it again. And Australia have won God knows how many in a row against England. Now uh, it must be, there must be something in their heads. Like it must play a part, the, um the record that they have over the top of them. Uh, and yeah, in general, Rachel Haynes got 130, not or 130 out um, serious innings and just shows the depth of women's cricket. Like most of those Australian top six batters would be the best batter from most other countries playing yeah. in the tournament. So um, we're very blessed. But having said that, it's tournament play. And that's why it's so hard to win these things. And that's why we didn't win the World Cup last time. Uh, England are the, the holders. So um, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. And that's going to be the key to, to success, I think. OK, moving right along. And this is the one that a lot of our listeners have been waiting for. It's our much anticipated mega preview of the upcoming 2022 AFL men's season. We've pretty much gone through all the metrics that you'll find on any AFL website in terms of uh, the crystal ball, the ball predictions before a season begins. And yes, this will be published on record, so you can all laugh at us in eight months time uh, and show us how, how wrong we were. Uh, but we're going to start at the very top, where we're going to be in October. Boys, Hugo, we'll start with you. Who have you got winning the 2022 Premiership and why?
1: um i've gone for the western bulldogs i think that they're a young team who's only going to get better They were so close to winning it last year i think a little bit more finals experience and i reckon they'll they'll get over the line i, I think they might finish well, I've i've got them finishing third behind melbourne and brisbane um but i think they'll get over the line in finals footy um so i've got brisbane finishing first i think they'll be pretty dominant throughout the season especially at home um although it'll be a close top four race with melbourne and the bulldogs and then port adelaide in fourth just behind um what about you ben
2: yeah i've gone with melbourne i think they're the the standout favorites for me and other than the fact that they're sort of reigning premiers and they've got such a good list i just think the fact that they didn't get to do it at the g um if you need any more incentive to sort of safeguard against a bit of a premiership hangover i'd say that's enough um i think from so what i hear coming out of the the melbourne camp just on social media and, and obviously my uh ears on the ground ears and eyes <laughs> on the ground in, in melbourne headquarters um i it, i just think they've um the the fire is very much still in the belly so i'd look for them to go back to back you home
0: yeah i've gone melbourne as well for similar reasons also i think we've seen this story before like same thing same vibe as richmond in terms of breaking that drought and having a system that all the teams just couldn't figure out and i can't see how they're going to really be able to get over the top and they're just so strong on every line and um, yeah, I just, I think in finals, their brand stands up the most, uh, of course, there's so many variables with injuries and form and everything that goes into it. But right now, I, I think Melbourne are the favorites we've also put together. Our ladders and, uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll run through our, our finalists, our top eight, for everyone, Hugo talked about his top four there. Hugo, do you want to, why don't we actually, why don't we start with our top four and then we'll, we'll move into our bottom four of the eight. So Hugo, I'll just to remind everyone went Bulldogs, Brisbane, um, Sorry, he went Brisbane, Melbourne, Bulldogs, Port Adelaide. Uh, I've gone with Brisbane as well, winning the minor premiership, and I've gone Bulldogs second, Melbourne third, and and Geelong in fourth. And Ben, you've gone different again.
2: Yeah, I've got Melbourne top, Bulldogs second, and then I've got Richmond back in in business and Port Adelaide rounding out the top four.
0: So I guess the the interesting one is you've got Brisbane down in, in sixth place. Hugo and I had them finishing top. Uh, and you've got Richmond so high. Why do you reckon Richmond are bouncing back?
2: Um, yeah, good one. D Martin is a will feature <laughs> largely in my reasoning there. I just think fully fit, full preseason, motivated, ready to go. Um, and then I just still think they've they've got the names and they've they've got the team, they've got the brand. Uh, I I do think we'll look back on their era and see 2021 as an anomaly for them. I still think they've got a couple of years of pretty dominant football in them, but yeah, largely. Largely built around Dusty, and then as for Brisbane, I just think um, the damage, psychological damage of going out in straight sets, I believe two years in a row. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, will will take its toll, and they'll they won't fall out of the eight. But I don't I don't see them getting the double chance this year.
0: Yeah, all well, makes sense. Uh, for me, I think Brisbane. Um, there's a lot of good talk around their camp at the moment from people who are more informed with me just in terms of they're pretty much injury free apart from Eric Kippwood, and they're gonna have uh Cam Rainer back yeah, Rainer right back's big um he'll be a big big plus for them. Um but yeah, I think that fire in the belly will burn really deep for them. I do see this as potentially one of their last chances to make it count. Um, for me, I've got Port Adelaide down in six. Both of you had them in your, your top four. Uh, I think they have may have missed their their boat personally. Um, be interesting to see. Uh, looking at the, the bottom half of our top eights, I went for Sydney in fifth, Port Adelaide, Carlton and Essendon. Hugo, what about you?
1: Uh, yeah, I also went Sydney in fifth. Then I went Geelong sixth, Carlton seventh, and then St Kilda eighth. Um, I think Sydney will be good again. I wouldn't be surprised if they actually stuck into the top four, um, but I just think a young list. They might lose a few of the close games. Geelong, I think, uh, potentially passed it. It'll be also interesting. There's a lot of talk about their game style going into the season, whether they're actually going to change it up this year. Um, so that will be interesting. I think they're a variable team. Like they could drop way down, um, or they could, like they always do, finish top four and lose some finals again. Um, <laughs> I'm very hopeful for Carlton. I think um, List's gotten better. Voss is hopefully a great coach. I wouldn't wouldn't be too sure though. Um, you know, knowing Carlton and the Saints, um, I I reckon they they can sneak into the eight this year. Good enough. List. Um, and good enough game style i reckon they'll get in there
2: very good all right i've got roundy on my eight uh geelong brisbane sydney st kilda geelong i also think they're past it but they're geelong so they just sort of by dna won't miss the top eight um brisbane i've spoken about still a good team i just don't think they're quite where they were sydney i i am denied about because there's definitely an argument that they could um you know take last year as a real platform and and leap up into the top four, but I think they probably overachieved last year. So I can see them sort of sticking around the bottom half of the eight and St. Kilda um, in there, mainly just for my own psychological necessity. um, (laughs) Obviously big Saints fan. It would be quite traumatic to see us miss out again, although wouldn't be that surprising.
0: Yeah. The only reason I've got the Saints down in 10th is just because they already have a few pretty serious injuries in yeah. the preseason, which I don't like the look of. Um we'll skip right down to the the bottom of the ladder. Uh who are your your bottom couple? I've gone for West Coast in sixteenth, Adelaide in 17th, and and Collingwood in 18th. I think it's going to be a tough year for Pies fans. Um I really didn't I, I didn't feel like they're going to finish last, but I went through every other team and I just I couldn't see one who is going to be going to be below them. Uh so anyway, I I hope I'm wrong for the Pies fans out there, but I think it's going to be a tough year.
1: Yes yeah, sorry
0: um, I put Adelaide
1: coming 18th, Hawthorne 17th and Collingwood 16th. Um, I think any of those three personally could could you know be 18th, 17th or 16th. Um, I just think Adelaide's list hasn't gotten much better um, and I can see them struggling a lot this year um, Hawthorne, still young think there could be a few breakout players this year hopefully for them um new coach maybe it'll change things up but i can see them in 17th pretty reasonably and then and then collingwood um yeah I'm, I'm not too sure how they're gonna go this year new coach will be interesting
2: um again but the list itself is just not not good enough mm. I'm somewhat similar, a combination of the two of you, but I've got Adelaide, um, third last, North Melbourne, second last and Hawthorne grabbing the spoon. Same thing, Hawthorne, I just think they're just really young, new coach, I don't think there's that much to be optimistic about in the short term, although that doesn't mean um, I've written off Sam Mitchell as a coach. I, I do think that that could be a good long-term decision. I just think he doesn't have the cattle this year. Um, North Melbourne, Again, didn't really see that much towards the back end of last year um, to fill me with optimism for them in the short term and Adelaide for the same reasons as you. Hamish, um, just don't think they've really improved their list that much.
0: Yeah, um Ben, I was gonna let you off, but I don't think we can. You've got Carlton in 15th. Uh you might have to provide a little bit of backing for that one because Hugo was less than impressed when he saw that.
2: Yeah, but <laughs> part, partly just to to spite my my co-host, but um no, I don't know. Uh I just have been such a perennial disappointment over the last sort of decade or so that I find it really hard to be bullish on the the blues to be honest um I'm, I'm like happy happy is the wrong word. I, I, I'm <laughs> I tolerate being proven wrong on this and I, and I do think that there's every chance that the the voss experiment could work out but um no there's a few um very confident and bullish Carlton fans out there so I thought I might just um, lend some weight to the other side of the debate here.
0: Fair enough. I'll say um, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I remember very distinctly when I was about 12 years old and um, Carlton had lost a close game. I was watching on TV at Ben's house and Ben's dad leans over to me (laughs) and says, hey, Mo, you weren't around during the 80s, but I could watch Carlton lose every game for the rest (laughs) of my life and I wouldn't feel a thing. (laughs)
2: Yeah, they've had enough success. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, Pete.
0: Um, Fair enough. Um, all right, we might go on to Brownlow and breakout year player now. We've gone separately, all of us, on, on each of these. Uh, for me, Ben, this will make you happy. I've gone for for Jack Steele for the Brownlow. I think his back half of last year was second to none, and I just think he's going to start out of the blocks this year. The umpires know who he is now. I can't see many people taking votes of him, and I've got some killed up anywhere from seventh to 10th really on my, my ladder. So I think they're in that, that prime spot. Uh, what about you?
2: Uh, yeah, I, my pick here probably undermines what I've just said about Carlton, but I do think that Cripps will win. Um, and, and to be honest, you, you're not winning the Brownlow in the modern era without your team getting around that sort of 10, 12 win mark. So I've probably gone a bit low on Carlton there. Cause I do think that Certainly capable of winning that many games. And while there are there's you know some strength in the engine room there, I don't think too many um midfielders are taking votes off Crips and obviously he's by the look of things coming into the season fully fit, which hasn't been the case over the last couple of seasons. So I can see him roaring back into form and picking up the Charlie. You, Hugo? Yeah, I've gone lucky Neil.
1: Um, I think well he's proven he can do it. Um, I would not be surprised if he went. And did it again um, in my prediction. I got Brisbane at the top of the ladder. That always helps if you're winning. Um, and he's just such an accumulator. Like he might get beat around the contest a bit uh, the same as he did last year, but maybe he'll work a way around that. Um, although I do like your prediction, Jack Steele Hamish. I would not be surprised if he won. Um, you kind of often see that player have a breakout year and then not fully get recognised. And then the next year, followed up, and umpires see them a lot more. Um, so I probably think Jack steals a big chance, but when someone different and thought Lockie Neal could get over the line again. Um, for my breakout player, I went for Jack Lacocious. I think he just needed another year um, and a really big chance for Gold Coast breakout. I've actually put them higher up in my ladder as well. I've got them in 12th, which isn't isn't that high, but for Gold Coast, um, I think they'll start the season really well as they have a few times um, and then drop off maybe. If that happens again, would not be a surprise, surprise if Stuart Jew got got binned um but i hope gold coast do well i hope for jack lakoshis sake he has a breakout year as well
0: And you've gone for another little psychological booster here with your your breakout player
2: <laughs> yeah i have this is probably more founded than than my other commentary so far i think max king will have a breakout season. He's shown real signs, especially at the back end of last year. He was the Saints' leading goal kicker, um, but that was in a pretty lowly forward line. Um, but I think he'll really take the take the game by the scruff of the neck next year or this year, sorry, this season, um, and, you know, push up over 50 goals and uh, dominate the aerial contest as he's sort of been showing that he has the capacity to do over the last two seasons. What about you, Hane?
0: I've gone for a slightly left field one. I've gone for Jordan Clark, who has played two really good practice matches for for Frio. He's got a spot in the halfback line, which is where he wants to play. I think he's got so much untapped potential that just didn't click for him at Geelong. So hopefully for him and for the Dockers, he can uh, he can have a breakout year. Now, I've been looking forward to this one. Um, well, the next two, really. Uh, we'll do them together. The first is I want your controversial call that we're going to have... Um, about the the come upcoming season and then I want a headline you think we're going to see as well. So I'll start us off uh my controversial call is that Adam Simpson is going to leave the Eagles before round 12. I've got the Eagles in 16th. I think it's kind of the end of a generation for them. But I think he'll be coaching another team by the time round 23 comes around. I think he's going to be kind of the, the Dean Smith of the uh the the AFL for any Premier League fans out there who quit Aston well got sacked from Aston Villa in the next week was uh was coaching Norwich so whether that's Gold Coast um whether that's GWS whoever it is I think he'll be back in a job come the end of the season um I'll let you guys go on your controversial call then I'll just give my headline
1: um yeah <laughs> yeah so for my controversial call I've gone that someone will kick 70 goals this season um I reckon that just with the play styles, teams are getting a lot more aggressive, faster pace. Um, There's a lot more key forwards, you know, rising up there. You know, Max King could kick 70, who knows? Um, I hope so. I want to see it. I want to see people kicking big bags, you know. Um, I think Harry Mackay ended up with 57 last year and missed, Mm. you know, four games. So, you know, it's not too far away. Um, And, yeah.
2: Do you think that that will come off the back of like sort of a real standout individual performance, or do you can you see the way the game's played, sort of free opening up a bit, maybe a slight breakdown of team defence? Like, what what sits behind that prediction?
1: I think it's a it's a whole league thing. Um, it seems like teams are using the stand rule a lot better in the preseason. I I didn't get last year why teams didn't play on a lot more. Um, they did, but not nowhere near as much as they could have um and i think that's going to be a lot bigger this year and and teams are going to risk you know turnover for a goal more willingly um i hope so at least um but maybe it'll just take one standout player but i just think that if that does happen then teams will just go back to a defensive structure against that specific player um so i think it needs a whole league shift for it to happen
2: yeah, very good. Um, my controversial call is certainly not something I want to see and I don't really offer any commentary on the rule itself, but I think that the concussion rule um, has every chance to affect the final series and might see a really big-name player um, miss a very big game, uh, you know, every chance.
0: Yeah, there is. What about your headline we're going to see, Ben?
2: Um, yeah, headline I think we'll see, and it's not too brave a call because we we've seen it be a pretty recurring theme, but I think the Tasmanian team will get a lot more mileage this year, especially if the likes of Gold Coast and GWS both miss the eight. Um there'll be a lot of the why not us uh talk buoying that debate.
1: Yeah I hope I like it. Um I hope so at least I reckon, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if they announced the Tassie team by the end of the year. Well, that's um, an even bigger
2: call. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to um,
1: see that the speaking I'm not sure if you guys or you probably didn't but there was the um, preseason game down in um, in Tassie, the, the charity match between Hawthorne and Richmond. Um, the Tassie Premier was interviewed there and he seemed very, very confident that by the end of the year the Tassie team will be announced. And I doubt he'd be saying that if it wasn't going to happen. So hopefully that happens. Um, the headline I went for that we'll see is the AFL considering radical rule change <laughs> happens every year. Something or something will happen by the end of the season. They'll bring in a new rule, or they'll get rid of one. It, it's bound to happen at some stage throughout the season.
0: You'll never find a sport that changes rules more than the NFL. No, no. um, mine is uh, a little bit spicy. I think that Kane Corns <laughs> is going to be forced to make. Well, the headline. I'll read the, the headline. Kane Corns forced to make public apology for unacceptable comments. Um,
2: can you give any more detail than unexpected comments?
0: <laughs> well, he was really towing the line with that. Um, his kind of criticism of that AFLW player, uh, saying that it's um, f- f- essentially fair to body shame people, uh, and I feel like he's um, he's made a he's made a career out of it. Fair play to him, but. I think he's getting very close to saying something that he'd probably regret and have to apologize for. And he did have to apologize. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before for some comments he made. Um, but yes, I think it's, uh, it's only a matter of time before it happens again.
2: Yeah, if you trade in saying outlandish things and sort of being a, a contrarian, um, you, you do trade a pretty fine line. Alrighty, let's jump straight back into our moments of the week and I'll kick things off with LeBron James in year 19 at 37 years of age with a bad knee against the Golden State Warriors going off for 56 and 10 with six three points made. Um, I don't know if you guys watched this but I just think the guy is simply unbelievable. You hear a lot about it in just basketball circles but by and large, he's a pass first player. Um, he He's a distributor of the ball. He's not really a scorer first and foremost, but he's now one of only three players, I think, or four players um, age 37 or over to, to go off for over 50 points. Um, and he's on track to become the all-time leading scorer in the NBA, which for a, a distributor of the basketball is just simply ridiculous. His longevity is up there with anyone in any sport that I can think of. And that's a really taxing sport on your body basketball. So, um, you know, he's a, he's very much in the enjoy watching him while, while we can category. Um, I just think whether you're a fan or not, it it is undoubtedly a privilege to, to watch him play. Do you guys see it?
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, it's gotten to the stage where I'm organizing a trip with friends just to go watch him before he retires. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and like, yeah, he's he's had to take more of a scoring role in this team because they're struggling so much. Like last, the year they won their their title was the first year he led the league in assists, I'm pretty sure. Um, and he, had, he was able to take a step back, but this season they're just struggling so much. And to, to score 56 points, like I actually saw it on KO that day and was like, oh, the Lakers are so bad to watch, I'm not going to watch it. And then... I saw the headline later and saw it score, score 56 points. Regretted not watching it, but um, yeah, Hamish probably wasn't too happy with that. But
0: oh, poor no, Hamish. I, I do love LeBron James. Funnily enough, the Warriors' social media was pretty quiet. Um, I didn't, didn't see a whole lot going on. Uh, but yeah, longevity is such an uh, important part of any champion. And we said in the tennis players, we see that in the basketball as well. So, um yeah, incredible feat. I've also gone for a, a bit of a, a scoring feat for my moment of the week, but it comes from the soccer world and that was Tottenham striker Harry Kane passing Thierry Henry's record um of goals in the Premier League. He's now at 176, which is sixth place in the all-time scorers list moving up past Thierry Henry, and there's a pretty good argument to make that he could still get to Alan Shearer, who's number one on, on 260 goals, such as Kane's fitness, such as the way he plays, and such as his age as well. So uh, he started the season really slowly, but uh, he's well and truly in the groove now as are Tottenham as they try and hunt down Arsenal to to get into that fourth position.
2: Fantastic.
1: Yeah, that's a, a big moment um, in the Premier League. Um, I've gone for a for a more local moment. Hamish, you mentioned it earlier. Um, the ending to the Melbourne Rebels Fijiana game. For those that haven't listened to it yet, make sure you give a special interview over the last week. Um, make sure you give our special interview a listen um, with Annie Bunting, who plays for the Melbourne Rebels, um, and Hallie Durrero, who plays for the the, um, the Brumbies. Um, it was just an amazing moment. If you haven't seen it, you can watch the replay on Stan Sport. Um, you don't have to watch the whole game. You can just go to the end. You can see the scoreline. It was pretty one-sided, but they all linked arms, got in a huge circle, and the captain of the Rebels, it looked like, it's hard to tell, but was giving a speech, just I'm pretty sure about how, how much it meant to play together. Um, it was just a, a huge moment. It was the first game for the Fijiana team. Um, despite it being a one-sided affair, Fijiana dominated, by the way, um, the Rebels put up a a huge fight, could have been much bigger um win, but rebels really pushed them right to the end. And that there's a lot in that. Um eventually scoring later in the in the game. Um it just shows that you know sport is so much bigger than winning and losing. Um and it was a really nice moment.
2: Yeah, that's a a fantastic one. Um I'll I'll segue that into our fan moment of the week because it's also about um how sport is a lot more than just what goes on on the field and, and winning and losing as you said, and, and this, this was sent into us that it's just great to see, um, the Australian men's side back in Pakistan, playing cricket after 24 year hiatus there. Um, obviously you can see what it means to the locals, uh, with all the signs around the ground. And even though it wasn't a great test, I just think for, for what it means for, for Pakistan cricket in general, um, And sort of culture over there, um, cricket is such a huge part of it. And to be able to play against the number one team in the world on their home soil um, is clearly clearly a fantastic thing.
0: 100% couldn't agree more. Now, I I think it's almost the end of Daylight Saving, so we're going to have to change our anacronym soon. Um, (laughs) I was wondering if nonetheless, Hugo, you have the time for us?
1: Yeah, it's time for Senegal's favourite segment. Shout out to our one listener in Senegal, uh, Hit or Miss. go uh, first here. Yeah, um, it was news today actually um, that the MCC Marlebone cricket Club who sets the laws um, to cricket, they changed a law um, that of being caught out and that is that even if the batsman cross whilst the ball is in the air the new batsman must face the next ball uh, that is unless it's the end of the over. Um, boys hit or miss.
2: Yes, that's a hit for me. I feel like we've spoken about it on the podcast. I, I can't remember which of you brought it up previously, but they're obviously listening. Um, and yeah, it just, it just makes sense. New batsmen should face the, the first ball when they're in, I think, if it's a catch. It'll make the end of games more exciting, I think.
0: I've been calling for this for at least two months now, and I'm <laughs> glad that my message finally got through to the MCC. Uh, you can listen to our special episode, Nuff City, when I, we first brought this up, and we were we were talking about rules we'd like to change in sport. Um, for me, it was was this very rule. I love it. I'm so happy it's finally gotten through. It makes no sense that you can chip a ball in the air and cross so that the the other batsman who's in, so to speak, uh, gets to be on strike. I think it's going to have a massive impact on 2020. I don't think it's going to have a huge impact on either of the other formats, but the end of 2020 games, if you've got two set batsmen and you're looking to to hit a boundary in the last over going aerial suddenly now is a real issue because you won't have time, you, you can't cross, which means that the uh, potentially a, a non batsman will be coming in. All right. Oh, Hugo, did you have anything you want to say on that?
1: No, I agree. <laughs>
0: I'm also going cricket as well. And mine is um, from an interview I was listening to on the great cricketer podcast with Alex Blackwell, former test captain of the Australian women's national team. And they were discussing female coaches and and why there's such a stigma around female coaches in the, the men's game in particular. Uh, so for mine is will Elise Perry coach a men's national cricket team, maybe not Australia, but anywhere, a men's national cricket team somewhere down the line, hit or miss?
2: And I just ask a a qualifying question: Do we know yeah. if she has expressed any interest in coaching after she it was, retires?
0: It's more of just a name that was raised in the in the interview of someone who's got an incredible cricket brain and wants yeah. to be part of the sport, um, going forward. So, uh, let's let's for the sake of the argument presume that that is something she wants to do.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's a hit for me if she wants to. Um, I think as you said, if if there's a great cricketing brain going around there and they're in short supply across the world so um i don't think gender could be less important really when it comes to picking a cricket coach um it should just be uh whoever's got the best tactical now and provided she's she's wanting to do the job then yeah she'd be a, a fantastic cricket coach
0: Worth saying that we um we have three of the finest cricketing brains always discussing <laughs> cricket on this podcast here and if CA are happy to increase increase their offer we're happy to to look into the Australian job Hugo what do you think? Um
1: I think it's the question is will she coach I think is a miss I think only because I hate it but I just don't think it's going to happen I don't know why there's no reason why if she's the best brain she. Shouldn't get the job. She hundred percent should, but I just I don't know why. I just can't see a, a men's cricketing team going down that route, which is stupid. But maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm not. I think she'd be a great person for the job, but I don't. I just you know, there's too many old opinions in cricket, um,
2: for it to for it to happen. Sadly. Yes. All right. Um. My hit or miss. I guess I know your answer on this. I more just want. The explanation. And I largely want the explanation for quite a cynical reason. And that's because it'll upset a few listeners. And that's always <laughs> funny. So my hit and miss, uh, hit or miss, is that Richmond will finish in the top four this year. Hamish?
0: It's a miss, I really hope. Um <laughs> we'll uh we'll see. I just don't think Richmond's list is top four anymore. I was looking at it the other day, um, Jack Rewalt's going to be pretty much past it probably his last season i'll be interested to see if Trent cultures even in the, the best 22 coming the end of the year mm-hmm. they've lost david asprey who's just retired um doing press here, is always injured and suddenly they're, they're looking a little bit bare bones without them i just don't think their youth is particularly strong compared to um the really high draft picks that other teams have had access to and that's not it's it doesn't say anything about Richmond's ability to develop players it just says the access to to draft picks when you're so good for so long isn't as high so for that reason i don't think they're top 4 having said that i think they could anywhere from 7th to 10th they they could finish there um and if they if things click their game style holds up that they don't need to have the best list to to finish uh, in the top 8 hugo what about you
1: yeah to miss the 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 uh It's a miss. The dynasty is over. Bad luck, Richmond fans. Um, (laughs) No. uh, I think they've drafted really well, to be honest, with the picks they have had. But I just don't think their list is good enough. They did finish 12th last year. So to go from 12th to 4th is just, I I think, a a step too far. Um, They could sneak into the eight. I actually think they'll, if anything, finish lower than 12th. yeah i just don't think the list is there and jack rowell might kick a few bags but um would not be surprised if it's if it's his last season dusty can only do so much um and yeah bad luck richmond fans All right, it's time for this week's on this day on this week. <laughs> and came a couple of days ago now, the International Women's Day. Um great day to listen to our interview with elite rugby players. Um but it actually came from a day in 2020 on International Women's Day, the Australia hosted the Women's World Cup final, the T20 World Cup final that is. Australia obviously won that game pretty convincingly thanks to Alyssa Healy masterclass. Uh, But that was a hugely successful event. Um, Over 80,000 people ended up attending. Uh, It was amazing to see such a big crowd at a women's game. Um, I think a few days later, there weren't any people at the men's game due to COVID. Um, And just to get a global star like Katy Perry to an event like that was was huge. And it did a lot for the women's game in Australia and around the world as well. Um, I think also having India in the final there. um, The Indian women's team's grown a lot since then. Um, and yeah, it was just a, a big memory I had um right before COVID and it was a, a big game.
2: Yeah, very good one, that
0: I still remember those scenes of um I think it was Sophie Molyneux dancing with Elise Perry on the on the stage, just unreal experience. Um <laughs> next to Katie Perry. Yeah, it feels like it feels like one of those landmark moments in uh, sporting world's history really uh, we see them as we look back 100 years 200 years uh, that filling out the crowd for a, a women's c20 world cup game and uh, for Australia to win as well in such dominant fashion just just made it completely perfect night um all right, should we look forward to some upcoming events in the week ahead? It doesn't stop in the sports world. It's something that I think we've all realised since we we started this podcast. Irrelevant mm-hmm. of what's going on in our own lives or how, how close we feel to sport at any one time, it just does not stop. And Hugo, you're going to tell us what is happening in the cricket, the US sports and the F1.
1: Yeah, so we'll start off with cricket. Australia plays its next game in the World Cup, the Women's World Cup, on the 13th. They face the hosts, New Zealand. Meanwhile, the men face Pakistan in the second test on the 12th of March. That game's taking place in Karachi. We also have the ongoing West Indies-England men's test um, series, plus also um, the remainder of the Women's World Cup games. Uh, Marsh Marsh Cup Finals and everything like that. Um, There's not any huge fixtures in the US sports, so we'll move on to F1. Uh, We have F1 testing starts this weekend. It's the first televised uh, Formula 1 since Abu Dhabi last year. Uh, Big story there is that Haas is likely to miss the first few days due to um, their planes being grounded. This comes as their... um, struggling to find new sponsors, having dumped their Russian backing um, and also their Russian driver, Nikita Mazepin. So there's no confirmed replacement driver yet for the remainder of the season. Um, also in Formula One, we have the next season of Drive to Survive, sport's biggest series, that airs on the 11th of March. Any Formula One or Drive to Survive fans will be very excited for that. Hamish, what about Soccer World? Any big fixtures coming up?
0: The big one is Manchester United versus Tottenham in the, the Premier League this weekend. Um, really is a season-defining game for both teams and for both managers as well. And I'll also touch on the rugby as a huge game in the Super W, and that is the Rebels and the Brumbies. And we've plugged it several times, but it's Annie versus Hallie. Get down to Annie Park on on Friday night and cheer the girls on. Uh, sure to be a great match. Ben, what about the golf world?
2: Yeah, um, pretty big one in the golf world, actually. they got the Players' Championship being played at at TPC Sawgrass as it always is in Florida, playing off for a a cool $20 million purse there. But this is the PGA Tours flagship event, really. Um, Sawgrass is a fantastic course to to watch golf on the finishing stretch is really a, a great one. There's water on all the last three holes, including the famed 17th hole, which is a par three with an Island green. So if you do have any, any time Monday morning, um, which will be after this airs, um, I'd, I'd pop Fox sports on if you have it and, and have a look at that. Cause that's a, a golf tournament that is always worth watching. And it's a good tune up for the masters as well. So us masters one week away, the biggest, um event in golf and we should really be able to see by now who's who's in form who's not um and and where the favoritism lies for the biggest event in golf all right let's move right on to our tips and our bold predictions for key fixtures coming up hamish and you've got a good one here
0: mine is that the pitch for the second test in pakistan is going to be very very different to the pitch we saw in the first test for as much for pakistan as as for cricket as well i think they've realized that i mean we only took four wickets in god knows how many overs um and they took 10 they managed to get us this all out so if they can put a little bit in there for the, the bowlers there might be a chance to actually get a result which would be huge to see although you can't really begrudge them making each game go for five days after waiting uh 22 20 years for us to, to <laughs> go on good. tour again um ben what about you
2: Yeah, I like that one, Um, Mine is a pretty bold one, but I've got the Lakers to make it past the first round of the playoffs. So for those who aren't across the Lakers standing, they're sitting well below about nine games below 500, I think. They're in ninth spot and although it's top eight make the playoffs, they do have play in games there. So I believe they only have to finish in in the top 10 to at least be a chance to make the the playoffs when they do eventually start. And the reason for this prediction is seeing the, the game that LeBron James put up the other night. He hasn't given up hope on this season. And if the will of one man can carry a team of five, it's LeBron James. Um, That being said, he was out last game against the Spurs with knee soreness. So it might be a bit of a watch this space there, but I'm still nailing my colors to the LeBron mask for the time being. Yeah. I like
1: it, Ben. There's a bold one. Hamish, one thing I have to say, um, the third test being held in Lahore is one of the few grounds where it averaged a um, <laughs> batting average is higher than Rawalpindi, pindi. Um, so <laughs> hopefully they changed it up there. That's where the third test is being held though. So um, we'll see what the second test has. Um, my bold prediction is for the underdog to win every game of round one. Um, it's actually a really hard round to pick. So, who knows who the underdog is, but seems to happen every year. And I reckon there's a few underdogs who could get up. Every game. One.
2: Every single game. Every single game.
0: Who's Adelaide okay. playing?
2: Uh, can, I, can I go through it? Yeah, yep. please. So you've got, I'm doing the betting underdog, Bulldogs to beat Melbourne. Yep. Mm-hmm. You've got Carlton to beat Richmond. <laughs> yep. Collingwood to beat St. Kilda. Yep. Essendon beat Geelong. Get in. Giants (laughs) beat the Swans. Okay, it's all doable. Port Adelaide beat Lions. North Melbourne beat Hawthorne. Crows beat Fremantle. And Suns beat West Coast. No one's over $3.
0: Jeez, I like it, Hugo. You've done your research there. The only one I
1: think think Brisbane should win that game. I think that's the one game because Brisbane's playing at the Gabba. Um, pretty much full strength side, but I mean, I've gone for it.
0: <laughs> very, the great thing is you won't lose good. any money. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all righty. Well, that is just about us for the week. Thank you all very much for listening to the end as we've talked our way through another huge week in sport. Be sure to join us next week as we bring you all the news, results, tips, and predictions you could possibly inhale in one sitting and, of course, deliver another memorable installment of Senegal's favorite podcasting segment, Hit or Miss. From Hugo Hamish and myself, it's goodbye for now.